Hello, and welcome to the Zircona Growth Insights Podcast, bringing clarity to the complexities of consumer behavior. Episodes feature industry experts, partners, and guests across the 26 industries we track, representing nearly $4 trillion in global consumer spending. Our goal is to give you transformative insights and the most complete view of consumer and market opportunities. Welcome to Circana's Rogue Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Joan Driggs. The debut of Circana, which is just a couple months old now, makes it possible for us to provide a complete view of the consumer. We track nearly $3 trillion in consumer spending across eight major U.S. segments, including complete food and beverage, fashion, home, tech, complete beauty and health, alcohol and tobacco, entertainment, and even auto parts. Today, I'm joined by my colleague, Larissa Jensen, Vice President and Beauty Industry Advisor here at Circana. For 20 years, Larissa has been immersed in the prestige beauty category, conducting rich research and delivering consumer and market insights to manufacturers and retailers. She travels the world to both observe and advise the beauty industry evaluating new business opportunities for top beauty retailers and manufacturers around the world. Now she's able to provide a complete view of the beauty market and the beauty consumer across all retail channels and types and tiers of beauty products. So Larissa, welcome. Thank you, Joan. It is a delight to be here with you. This is such an exciting time, and I'm really excited about our conversation today because this is This is like the kickoff. We're able to provide a 360 degree view of the beauty market and what consumers are buying, like what great insight. So tell us a little bit more about the information that you're now able to collect and how that impacts decision-making. Sure. So first and foremost, Arcana has the first and only comprehensive point of sale data at the item level across both the prestige and mass markets and beauty. And this really allows us to combine and contrast the two markets to better understand industry drivers and identify consumer behaviors. So for example, when looking at beauty categories in the mass market that were in unit decline, it was actually most fascinating to learn that many of those areas declining in mass were actually the strongest performing areas in prestige. So things like hairstyling, hair care, men's and women's fragrances, These dynamics are a treasure because if you're on the mass side, it's not that consumers aren't buying these products, it's that they're buying them elsewhere, right? So how do you win them back? But in prestige, it points to the opportunity to amplify that consumer's indulgent mindset. Learnings like these really amplify why this data is so important. And our point of sale data also informs the collection of other data sets like forecasts and price elasticity, promotion, media optimization. And our suite of products also include psychographic profiles and buyer analytics, consumer panels, and of course, regional views. And you know, regional views are very interesting because they have shown us time and again how important it is to understand the nuances of regional insights. Whether we look at luxury brands in fragrance or clean skincare or black owned brands across different beauty categories, every time we've identified that the top markets in each view don't cleanly align with the top markets overall. So it really is about recognizing where those opportunities are regionally by segmentation 
that makes it critical to understanding how to best maximize distribution and ensure a successful impact on sales. So yes, Joan, it is a very exciting time for Circana, sure, but mostly for our clients. Well, and I would think it would be kind of nice for you personally, because you've been you've been so immersed in this market, really at prestige. But I, I, in the short time I've known you, I know that you know this market. And I'm just wondering if like this added mass just validates things that you had already been talking about. One million percent. It actually has been such a joy to be able to see that view on both sides. It's always it hasn't really been a secret, but I have always wanted to get my hands on both sides of the uh, beauty coin so I could understand both markets because it really does help provide that clear and comprehensive picture of what's really happening in the industry. Now, just a short while ago, you mentioned that, you know, where you saw sales go down in one area, they mm -hmm. were up and like down in mass and up in prestige. So yeah. when you compare prestige prestige to mass, like is one side a little bit more dominant than the other or what, how are you seeing that balance shake out? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, that biggest, the biggest call out when you compare mass and prestige is that prestige is the standout in terms of the performance. So like you had said, you know, it is growing faster. In fact, dollars are growing about four times faster in prestige than we see in mass. And that's really been consistent over the last several years. But to your point, you know, when we combine the sales volume um, of makeup and skincare and fragrance and hair, and we look at the share of the sales across those markets, uh, when you look at mass and prestige as compared to each other, they're almost equal in size, which might be surprising, right? But, you know, obviously mass is larger than prestige, but the bigger differences really happen when we look at the share of mix in terms of mass and prestige for each category. So for makeup and skincare, you know, mass is larger, but the market sizes are much closer to each other. But in fragrance, prestige sales dominate, making up about 85% of the volume. And on the other end is the hair category where the mass market represents three quarters of complete volume. And what's really interesting about hair, it's a very interesting category and one that really both Sides of the beauty market should be paying close attention to because while prestige hair holds a small share versus the other categories, it's growing at almost eight times the rate of mass. So there is a shift that is happening there. And that really is why a view like this is so important because as our industry becomes more blended across mass and prestige, it really does provide a look into how consumers are spending across markets by category. You know, that. Let's bookmark that for a future podcast because <laughs> I do see tremendous opportunity. I'm seeing it with skincare or even with body care. Some of the um, ingredients, those those ingredients that really deliver benefits are making their way from, from facial skin to body skin. And I would imagine that that's a great opportunity for hair too, is like, what are some of the ingredients that really enrich hair? Yeah, well, you know, some of them have already made it to hair. We actually have hair products with hyaluronic acid in them, which is actually more of a facial skincare ingredient. Right. So we've, that's actually something that we've observed over the past couple of years as well is skincare brands entering the hair care category and bringing along with them skincare ingredients. Ah, oh, see, see what, <laughs> see what our future holds. This is going to be great. 
so, okay, we're in a period of really high inflation. And you said that essentially, you know, mass, even though it's much bigger, is kind of on par with prestige. But we're, again, with inflation, do you see things shifting to mass? Are people trading down? So I love this question because we I've heard this a couple of times. And, you know, you mentioned earlier how Circana tracks close to $3 trillion in consumer spend across CPG and general merchandise industries. Now, when you look at the dollar performance across all of these industries, you saw pockets of growth here and there. So, for example, we saw dollar growth in food and beverage CPG and non-edible CPG, auto parts, office supplies, and yes, prestige beauty and mass beauty. But when we looked at unit performance, only prestige beauty posted growth and double digit growth at that. So, you know, you think about that, it's across every single CPG and general merchandise industry that we track. That really is an amazing moment for the prestige beauty category. So when you look more broadly, the growth in prestige beauty implies that consumers are not trading down. But I would suggest that that varies by category. So taking fragrance as an example, when we look at unit performance of fragrances sold in the mass market, they're down. And when we consider mid-range brands sold in prestige, they're also down. But more luxury brands, prestige brands like designer brands or artisanal brands in fragrance, they actually grew units by 6%. And if we look deeper and we consider promotion, the non-promoted units in fragrance also posted growth which means that more consumers are trading up and they're spending full price in this category. So when we look at skincare, however, you know, we've been speaking quite a bit over the last several years about how the prestige skincare category has been experiencing a democratization. Average price has been declining in prestige for years in skincare. And last year we saw that luxury price points in prestige skincare underperformed the market which really exemplified the point that consumers have learned that they don't need to spend a lot to get results. Now, interestingly, and this is where I was saying, being able to see both sides of the beauty coin is just fascinating, right? When we look at the category that brought in the biggest dollar gains in the mass market, it was skincare. Mm. The mass market has these dermatologist recommended brands that are outpacing the growth of not only complete skincare, but also prestige skincare. Everything's connected. And, and I do, I see that all the time. You're absolutely right. Some of those, again, those more beneficial, trusted ingredients are making their way into mass products. And to me, that, that must be blurring the lines because some of those come at a pretty high price point, don't they? Yes, actually, we saw, very interesting that you bring that up. Last year, when we looked at the top launches in Prestige and Mass, the top launch in Mass for skincare was actually double the price. <laughs> the top launch in prestige. So 1 million percent, the, the lines are blurring. <laughs> wow. And so going back to that, those prestige fragrances, which, you know, you've mentioned that a couple times now, and I'm wondering, is that the new lipstick? Remember like back in the, yes. back in the, the day? The lipstick index. Right. <laughs> so is now fragrance the new lipstick? Well, that's a great question. During the pandemic, it certainly was. Lipstick was not um, a very practical treat um, when you were wearing a face mask. <laughs> so, uh, you know, fragrance did see some phenomenal growth um, in, you know, right after the pandemic and consumers were treating themselves with, with that particular category. But I would venture to say one of the things we've been talking about a lot 
is the beauty index or the prestige beauty index, because really that trend of treating yourself is something that we're seeing more broadly on the prestige side. And I've heard, um, I, I think I read an article recently that even with um, fragrance, that people are using it almost as self-care, you know, that hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, We're stuck <laughs> in our homes mostly. Well, maybe not anymore, but that was just something nice you could do for yourself. Exactly. And I think that was a big driver of the growth there. I want to still believe that people were taking showers and they were just <laughs> masking. But So you've talked a lot about, you know, prestige and mass. And can you talk to us a little bit about what that looks like as a shopping, you know, experience or the different stores that these products are available in? Yeah. Um, so, you know, here is really where I want to talk about channels, but you did ask about the types of stores. So, you know, I do want to clarify when we talk about the mass market and we talk about the prestige market, um, I guess this is something we should have clarified earlier, but the mass market is basically products sold in the food, drug and mass channels, right? Um, and then the prestige uh, market is really brands and products that are sold in department stores and specialty stores, such as Sephora and Ulta, as an example. So, you know, when you look at the markets um, and then you look at the channels, uh, it's important to look at the channels because the dynamics are important. So when we combine mass and prestige together, right, and you have that complete beauty picture and you look at the brick and mortar and the e-commerce channel, right, dollars are growing. However, when you look at units, brick and mortar is experiencing declines. But again, this is the complete combined view. And it really does highlight the importance of understanding the differences between mass and prestige, because this decline in brick and mortar is actually being led by mass market results. Because in prestige, it's the opposite story. We see that brick and mortar is actually the primary driver of industry growth. Now, looking at this a little bit differently, and we look at the channel split or the share of sales, right, of e-commerce and brick and mortar, both the mass market and the prestige market are dominated by brick and mortar which makes up about 70% of the sales for both markets. But differences begin to emerge when we look at which channels are growing in importance. In prestige, brick and mortar has grown share as opposed to mass, which increased its share in online sales. And, you know, you talked a little bit about how consumers shop. You know, if you think about prestige and what the difference is between prestige and mass, it's the ability to test and try. And so you see categories like fragrance and makeup, for example, have a higher share of sales coming from brick and mortar and prestige, because these are the categories where you want to smell the fragrance. You want to be able to test the color payoff of an eyeshadow or a lipstick that you're interested in buying. Um, so that's a big reason for that. So the other thing you got to think about is that, as I mentioned before, you've got more and more brands that are beginning to straddle both markets in their distribution. So it really is so important to understand that strategies may need to be adjusted depending on the market that you're playing in. So one thing I wanna clarify, if I heard you right, 70% yeah. of sales are through brick and mortar, but yes. that would leave 30% for e-com. So yes. I'm thinking that that's probably a lot of repeat purchases where you're where you know the brand that you're after and maybe you're going for a good deal um and the convenience of online but gosh i think about it 30% of sales that for any category is 
is high. It's awesome. It is. It's high. But you know what, Joan, when you look at it across other industries, we're not really as high as other industries. There's some other industries that have much higher share of sales coming from the online channel than beauty. Beauty actually kind of falls somewhere in the middle to the lower end of the spectrum. So it's really interesting when you look at it in comparison to the broader market and have that context of the bigger picture of other industries and, and how big their online um, performance is. And I want to address what you mentioned about the replenishment purchases, because yes, to a degree, you do see that in a category like fragrance, when you look at the online brands, it's a lot of the classics, right, that are at the, that in terms of the top sellers. But what's interesting for a category like skincare or even hair, we see a greater share of sales, much higher than for the total. So for example, skincare, I believe 40%, around 40% of sales come from the online channel. And for hair, it's almost a 50-50 split. Wow. And when you think about maybe why that might be the case, these two categories are really more of your technical categories, right? So it's really ingredient driven. Um, it, it's easy for consumers to be able to identify, you know, what the rating of these products and consumers that are purchasing these products, do they have my skin type? Do they have my hair type? Is this something that would be recommended for someone like me? And it's sometimes easier to navigate that online than it is in a physical store. Not saying that it isn't, but you know, that's, that's part of potentially why we're seeing these bigger shares for these more technical categories. I had never really thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. You know, think about lipstick and trying on a lipstick or a scent versus um, trying to understand what a product is going to do to benefit your hair or your skin. Great, great insights, great insights. Um, so I want to kind of talk a little bit about both prestige and mass. And you mentioned mm -hmm. that um, even with the, the shopping experience, how important it is to have kind of more of a an omni approach or a more strategic approach. Yeah. So what opportunities do you see? Let's start with prestige. What yeah. opportunities do you see for growing that, that segment? So for opportunities and prestige, I want to focus on demographics because one of the biggest drivers of prestige growth is and always has been that higher income consumer. This consumer spend has always been elevated above other income levels, but now we're seeing these higher income households, they're spending more than double what they did pre-pandemic. So this is a really highly engaged consumer that's keeping the prestige beauty industry afloat. So that's an opportunity, but it's not an across the board statement because in fragrance, one of the key drivers for prestige growth has been stronger concentration scent. So these are fragrances that have a higher concentration of fragrance oils in their formulas. So these would be um, eau de parfums and perfumes. Now, when we look at the demos that are growing in size for these higher concentrations, they're actually younger. They have their lower to middle income. They're more ethnically diverse. And again, looking at regional sales, like I'd mentioned before, these stronger concentration scents over index in completely different markets regionally than the top markets overall, right? And makeup, social media, it's always had a significant impact on sales and makeup. So 10 years ago with Instagram today, it's TikTok, but, and beauty overall, when we look at the top five content type on TikTok, beauty is one of the top five. And when we look at makeup consumers, 24% of them who rely on social media to make purchase decisions 
of, of those 24%, about half were influenced by TikTok. And those numbers actually double for Gen Z. So nearly half of Gen Z relies on social media. And of those, three quarters are influenced by TikTok. And we see the results in sales time and time again in terms of the beauty products that go viral on that platform. And this younger generation is also increasing their spend in makeup at a greater rate than any other demographic across age, income, or ethnicity. And really all of this to say is that there is a myriad of consumers that provide growth opportunities, dependent on the category and even the types of products. It really is about understanding who they are, what products they're buying, where they're buying them, and how to effectively reach them. And that is where Circana can help our clients understand all of this. And I would have thought, you know, that what you just described would be more of a mass market opportunity. The younger consumers who are experimenting and trying to find their own way and having fun on TikTok, but that was for prestige. Yeah, that was specifically for prestige, but those numbers in terms of TikTok and the younger consumer is not. That was from our consumer study. So that is basically, it is a blanket statement across both markets. So you're correct, Joan. You know, that's an opportunity for prestige because we see the immediate correlation in our products in terms of these products that go viral on TikTok. So we definitely see the sales jump up for different things like you know, when Barbie core was big or ballet core is big, we saw big jumps in, in pink shaded items across the face, eye and lip categories as an example, right? Um, but you are likely to see very similar types of dynamics happening in the mass market. Interesting. So overall, like, let's talk about some just some emerging trends in beauty and what you see kind of coming out. And maybe it's stuff that you've been observing on TikTok. Uh, I don't know. But. <laughs> well, we're going to go broader than TikTok because I think, you know, obviously that's the TikTok, I think, drives a lot of performance in terms of specific products based on different looks that are trending, right? So when we think about the trends that are emerging in the beauty space, we try to think bigger and broader. And, and what does that mean for, for brands and retailers and how they position their products and, and merchandise, right? So one of the biggest trends um, is the treat mindset. It's been such a pivotal driver for the prestige market specifically. It's consumers are looking for a way to treat themselves. You mentioned the lipstick index. That's exactly what this is. Um, and we see this also playing out in the premiumization of categories like fragrance and hair and the roaring comeback of makeup, which 50% of consumers say makeup gives them confidence. 30% of consumers say it brings them joy, right? This treat mindset is also evident in the growth of luxury, which, you know, not only in beauty, but we see it across industries like footwear and handbags and even coffee machines and spirits, where luxury items in those industries are actually outperforming the particular industry growth. So that would be one, I think that's a, a big trend that's in, really important. Um, the other one is this shift in wellness, right? What do I mean by a shift in wellness? Because it really is very closely tied to the treat mindset in many ways. So while physical wellness remains important, consumers are focusing on their mental wellness more than ever before. It's a shift that we began to see in 2020, and it's only accelerated since, and it's contributed peripherally to the sales of beauty products. 
We see this playing out in fragrance. You had mentioned this before, you know, consumers are taking to this category as a form of self-care. They're choosing scents to lift their mood, to provide a wellness benefit. And there are really very few industries outside of beauty that are better positioned to meet consumers' emotional needs. So as mental wellness priorities become the norm, beauty stands to benefit. You know, and I then just, the I just go wanna, ahead. What were you gonna I, say? I want to add something in there. Yeah. I don't know that it's a shift in wellness. I look at it as an expansion. Like I think that we've we've expanded our definition of wellness. And I love what you're saying about feeling good. And, you know, all those little things that is definitely feeding into, again, more, more, a a broader definition of wellness. Right. No, I agree with you. I do believe it is, it is broadening wellness, but the reason why we say shift is because we saw in our consumer study studies last year is very interesting. When we ask consumers, you know, what are the wellness, um, uh, activities that you're, you know, that you're currently engaged in. And it was like, you know, eating well, exercising, getting more sleep, things like that, right? The ones that went down were eating well and, um, you know, b- basically things that took work, right? So having to go to the gym and having to watch what you eat. And the things that went up in importance were things like sleep, things that made you feel good, to your point, things that make you feel good, sleep, wearing comfortable clothes, right? Um, and that is all very, very closely tied to obviously feeling good and that mental wellness aspect. So that's, you know, we talk about the shift, but I 100% agree with you. I think it is about the expansion as well. Good. And I do want to mention just one more thing in terms mm-hmm. of, of of opportunities or just the, the trends that I think are important. And, and it's that consumers are shopping their values more than ever before. And they're looking for brands and products that are whatever these things that are important to them, whether it's clean or vegan or cruelty-free or sustainable and, and looking at sustainability specifically, it is a topic that remains an important conversation for the future. And, you know, looking at Circana's consumer reports, depending on the category uh, for beauty, so makeup, skincare, fragrance, or hair, anywhere from 34% to 44% of consumers tell us that they value sustainability and social responsibility, but these numbers actually are higher for younger consumers. So that's important to think about for future, right? But they're also higher when we look outside of beauty in the CPG space, where over three quarters of consumers say that they believe sustainability is important when selecting what products to buy. I have a fabulous, what I call my money slide um, in our (laughs) our annual sustainability report that speaks just to that very thing. Even though we found that younger consumers, Gen Z and millennials, are spending less on sustainable products, they over-index in demand, and they are the future. Like, they are definitely the future. So I could not agree with you more. In fact, check out our CPG sustainability report on circana.com because it's in lockstep. So (laughs) as as we kind of wrap up a little bit, You've touched on so many different things um, here today. You know, we've talked about inflation. We've talked about the different markets, why people are shopping, what they're what they're gravitating towards. What is your outlook for the beauty industry? Well, it is very positive, Joan. <laughs> and 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 here's why I say this. And speaking of money slides, one of my favorite um slides that I've presented uh, so far this year contains this, what I call my favorite beauty statistic. 
in a survey that we did um, at the end of very end of last year, among beauty buyers who were reducing spend due to inflation, 70% reported that they're not cutting back on beauty. And I feel like I need to take a dramatic pause here to really take that in, right? 70% of consumers that are already cutting back won't give up our product. And year-to-date results correlate with that. We see both math and prestige growing double digits in dollars. So clearly we're an industry that is steeped in emotion, which has really been the catalyst to our resiliency, which is also why I have a positive outlook. But that said, I would suggest four things that the industry can do to maintain this momentum. And the first one is to leverage learnings from winning markets. It really is time to break the silos between math and prestige and learn from one another. The second thing, reinvent innovation. And this is really more than just new products. It's about connecting with consumers in new and meaningful ways. The third thing is to fully embrace agility. Recognizing and adapting to changes in the macro environment really has become table stakes. And fourth, and most of all, be dependable. Harness the purchasing power of a consumer base that's already loyal to our products. Beauty brings joy, right? That's the wellness benefit. It brings joy. It's a universal aspiration, and it will drive our industry forward. This has been fantastic. I've learned so much from you. Um, and again, I, I have a little list here that I've started of topics to for us to cover in the future. But here's what I'm here's what I learned today that um, in this whole beauty market, prestige is a really significant pocket of growth, and that kind of surprised me. Um, and and that little nugget that you just dropped at the end that seventy percent report that they're not going to cut back on beauty. That includes those prestige purchases. And, you know, it it really defines my bias towards CPG because that's what I've the world I've grown up in. And that it's not consumers aren't considering this discretionary, which I would have. So that's yeah. just so <laughs> interesting to me. Um, I also, and maybe it's the 70% that's stuck in my brain, that yeah. 70% of purchases are in brick and mortar with 30% online but you are really hoping that the industry takes away how important it is to connect with those consumers and deliver that experience in store to keep that in store or out of store to keep that, um, that relationship strong and meaningful. And then of course, I love some of those trends that you touched on with treating yourself and the wellness shift, which now I understand yeah. is a shift. <laughs> I'll, I'll be stick with expansion, but um <laughs> Super important. It can be both. It can be both. <laughs> Yay. See, we all win. Um, Larissa, <laughs> thank you again for your time. And I look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you, Joan, for having me today. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Sarcotic Growth Insights podcast so you don't miss an episode. And let us know what you'd like us to cover. We'll serve it up in a future episode. Look for us wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to review Sarcotic Growth Insights. Want to learn more? Visit us at zircona.com and connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.